Bibles, please, the Second Corinthians chapter number one. Second Corinthians chapter number one. Early this morning, I started writing out an introduction to the message, and I began to realize the introduction was longer than the message, so I just uh, put it away somewhere. I I don't know what I'll ever do with the introduction. That that might become a morning manna article this week. I don't know, but. Uh, I've got to limit my remarks because there are so many things that uh, that I would like to say that I don't have time to talk about here this morning. Paul, of course, wrote this letter to the church at Corinth and to the saints that were there in that area. And notice his desire for them is found there in verse 2, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So here we are on the threshold of a new year, hoping that it'll be a good one, right? I mean, after all, that's why we keep repeating that phrase, Happy New Year. And uh, I think all of us would vote for that. And if you're like me, I, you know, I, I don't want it to be a year of defeat. I think most of us want to be able to look back on on the year whenever it's all said and done and and to think that we've been successful, that we've been victorious. But we might as well face it, most people live defeated lives and uh, they have this feeling of hopelessness rather than happiness. Uh, most of them are miserable instead of merry. And uh, they don't know what the future is, but based on their past experience and based on their observation, they know that tough times are to be expected. They know that the new year is going to be a land of hills and valleys. There's going to be going to be rough spots, going to be tough times and things of that nature. And so everything is not going to go as they plan or as they expect or as they desire. The question is, what can we do to increase our odds in having a happy new year? Well, you say, I've already taken care of that. I ate my black-eyed peas and cabbage and greens. And so I'm, you know, I'm good to go. I've got all of that out of the way and... It might be that you're thinking I even made a few New Year resolutions and uh, and uh, so everything's taken care of. But I think even, you know, after doing all of that, most people still feel a bit uncomfortable about facing the unknown. In fact, I, I think most people are probably frightened by the prospect. Uh, I mean, after all, and you know, they would tell you it's for a good reason why they're frightened and worried and anxious because they uh, they watch the news, they read the papers, they 
you know, they're, they're in tune with talk radio and all of these things. They know what's going on and, uh, they hear about the terrorist threats, the deadly diseases, the natural disaster, the economic woes, and all of these things that pose a threat to them. And so they convince themselves that they have a reason and a right to worry. And so uh, uh, eventually, somewhere down the road, they just convince themselves that, uh, you know, I might as well just forget about this having a happy new year because it just ain't going to happen and they're expecting the worst. And uh, so they just kind of plan a year-long pity party. Just, you know, <laughs> I'm going to be miserable whether anybody likes it or not. Well, not, do you want to live that way? I, I, I don't. I don't think most of us want to live that way. I think most of us are hoping for happiness. And let me tell you, as a pastor, I'm very much aware of that. And that's why every year uh, I begin the year, you know, the first few, four or five weeks, something like that, trying to address this subject. And so as I was thinking about the message today, I got my record book out just to look back at uh, to see what I preached last year. And so... Uh, these are the titles of some of the messages uh, right at the beginning. It says uh, the, the first one was a new beginning was the title of the message. Another one was going for the goal. Now, that's G-O-A-L, not G-O-L-D, going for the goal. Uh, another one, the third message was grow. Uh, the next one was removing the rubbish. You know, we've got to get some stuff out of the way if we're going to make progress. And the next message was how to abound. Well, all right, uh, entire year has now gone by, and here we are again thinking about the future and uh, hoping that it will indeed be a happy new year. And by happy, we mean one that is successful in a spiritual sense, that is victorious in the manner in which we live to to do that, we've got to focus on the future. We've got a plan for progress. We've got to pursue our purpose. We just can't sit back and hope it happens. We've got to pursue our purpose, prepare for problems. We've got to contend for a, a crisis, engage in our enemies, deal with disappointments, expect the unexpected. Well, to do all of that, I think it's helpful if we have a good example, don't you? And I can't think of anyone any better than the Apostle Paul. And whenever I think about Paul, there are many different sections of his life that we could consider. But, but here in these first 11 verses of this letter, 2 Corinthians, this has got to be one of my very favorite parts of his story. I don't have time to explain all of the details, but I want to give you just enough background that you can identify with the situation. Paul had expressed his desire and his intention to visit the church at Corinth. These people were very dear to his heart, and we could spend a lot of time going back to the establishment of that church and the relationship that developed between him and the members of the church. So, he wants to go back there. He has planned to go back there. He has committed to go back there. But circumstances caused him to change his plans out of necessity. He could not do what he wanted to do. And as a result of that, some of these people got really upset. 
In fact, as we say in the Ozarks, I mean, they were madder than an old wet hen. I mean, they were infuriated to think that he promised to come, and now he's letting something interfere with that, and he's not going to show up. And so they're angry about it. And naturally, anger generally leads us to do things that are very foolish. And so they start making foolish charges against him. I mean, he's a liar, and some say, well, he's not even a real apostle after all, and so on and so forth. So this letter here is uh, more or less an explanation as as to the troubles that he encountered, and also how God had comforted him in those problems. He's telling them that he has gone through a crisis, that he's facing an unknown future, And as a result of what he's gone through, that God is going to use it in some good way to minister to those there that are going through the same thing. So whenever we look at this story, there's several valuable lessons that we learn, that we need to learn, concerning how to contend with a crisis. Because we never know just how near a crisis might be. It could happen today or tomorrow or next week. And as we think about the new year ahead, we don't know what's going to happen. But listen, we need to be ready. And so as you as you examine this letter, and especially here in these first 11 verses, we see several things that enable Paul to be successful and to contend with his crisis And if it worked for him, it'll work for us. Now, I want you to notice the very first thing that jumps out to me is found in the first two verses, and that's the fact that he speaks about a sure relationship. Notice he said, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father. Now, notice, our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and refers to his Father as the God of all comfort and the Father of mercies. You see, Paul knew that he had been redeemed. He knew that he belonged to the Lord, that his life was not his own, that he didn't have any right to do as he pleased, but rather that by virtue of the fact that he had been redeemed, he belongs to God and is to serve God faithfully, regardless of the circumstances. So he is letting them know at the very beginning of this letter that he has a sure relationship with God. And it was that blessed assurance that gave him comfort, it gave him confidence, regardless of the circumstances, because he knew that was the one thing that would never change. And listen, folks, it's the same way with us. As you think about the new year, as you think about the the potential for problems, as you think about coming face to face with some challenge that is more than than you're able to bear, you need to you need to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you have a sure relationship with God. I think about the three Hebrew children, and of course, you know the story. I mean, these guys are about to be thrown into the fiery furnace, and boy, they let it be known from the very beginning, said, you know, you can throw us in there, but said, uh, we, we're not going to bow, we're not going to budge, we're not going to move. 
And they made this statement, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't deliver us, we're not going to compromise. You see, our God whom we serve. They knew they had a sure relationship with God. And let me tell you, whether they are wheeling you into the operating room, if you're standing at the morgue or the graveside about to bury a loved one, whatever it is that you're going through, you better know you have a sure relationship with God because everything depends on that. It is so heartbreaking to think about people that would, you know, attend church perhaps week after week after week and yet not have that blessed assurance that if they died today that they'd go to heaven. I mean, we see examples of that all the time. Just last week, we baptized a young man that had made a profession of faith before. And this happens, it's happened to many of you. You make a profession of faith, but there's still something missing. You know that things are not really right between you and God. It might be that you even maybe meant well and might be, you know, as a, as, as just a young child, you followed some other children during vacation Bible school and they walked down the aisle and so you followed them down the aisle and, you know, you, you maybe said a little prayer and, uh, and you left the building, but you didn't really feel any different, not deep in your heart. And that fear was still there. Let me tell you, don't dare enter this new year without being sure of your relationship. Now notice, he says, not only was he sure of his relationship, but he speaks about his serious responsibility. And by that, I mean, and, and, and we see that, notice in verse number 1, where he speaks about being an apostle, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. An apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he's not only a son of God, he is a servant of God. That word apostle means a called one or one that has been sent. And, and he's recognizing the, the work that God has called him to do. He is recognizing the fact that I have a serious responsibility, that I am an apostle. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, I wish I was that important. Look, let me tell you something. You don't have to be an apostle. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to be a deacon. You don't even have to teach a Sunday school class to be important to the kingdom of God. All you've got to be is in the will of God. You see, God didn't intend for all of us to hold those particular positions. But listen, God has a plan for each and every one of us. And it is our responsibility, our serious responsibility to discover what it is that God wants us to do and do it the best we can. That's what success in life is all about. Success is not getting your name in lights. It's not making yourself famous, you know, to, to the world. It's not, you know, acquiring a certain level of income. None of those things. It's simply discovering God's will and doing it. And let me tell you, you'll never be a success unless you recognize your responsibility to God. I'm, that stands head and shoulders above everything else in this world. 
And Paul is acknowledging that when he, when he mentions being an apostle, it's, listen, it's not just for the sake so that he can exert his authority over that church there and let them know, look, I hear y'all got a lot of problems there and I'm writing to straight this out and you better listen to me. After all, I am an apostle. I don't think that's the intent at all. I think Paul is just acknowledging the fact that I have a serious responsibility toward God. And remember, he is ministering to this church. That's the whole intent of this. He knows about those problems. And he loves those people. And he realizes, I have a ministry to this church And you and I, as we enter into the new year, if you're a child of God, need to recognize the fact we have a serious responsibility. I'm so so amazed that people can just, you know, slough off their, their responsibility. You know, they just, we get busy doing this and doing that. And that's why I keep saying over and over again, sinless things can become sinful. And they often do. Because so many times we allow other things, we allow the good to crowd out the best. We let other things come in and divert our attention away from the things that are most important. You have a serious responsibility. Whoever you are, as a child of God, God has a work for you to do. But then there's something else. And notice in verse number 3 what he says... He says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now, notice the very first words of that verse. Blessed be God. This, this is a, uh, an expression of worship. This is, a, this is a manner of rejoicing. So we see that, sin, that he's speaking about his sincere rejoicing in the things of the Lord. Blessed be God. Now, you know, it's one thing for us to say, well, praise the Lord. Or it's another thing for us to sing one of those, you know, one of those praise choruses. But it's another thing to actually rejoice in the Lord. And boy, when you look at Paul, it's easy to see there's no pretense with this guy. I mean, what you see is what you get. And here is a guy that loves God with all of his heart. And keep in mind, he's writing this letter. He's making this statement. Although his cherished plans had all gone astray, the bottom had fell out. Everything had gone wrong. The plans that he had made, all of a sudden, he had to put them on the back burner. Everything has gone astray. And he's turned away from his plan and uh, just like whenever he's writing in other places like the book of Philippians. And think about him writing there from prison. And yet he was always what? Rejoicing. Always rejoicing. You know, we just talked about our serious responsibility. The sad thing is sometimes... Sometimes we allow the seriousness of our responsibility to rob us of the joy. Mark it down, whatever it is God wants you to do. He wants you to do it cheerfully. Whether it's being a cheerful giver or whether it's serving Him with joy, whatever it is, God expects us not just to do it with our lower lip, you know, dragging the ground and 
and our shoulders stooped, God expects us to do it cheerfully. Amen. As unto the Lord. Have you ever had your plans go astray? Things didn't turn out the way you, you had dreamed. All of a sudden now you're in, you're in a pit of depression and you're so disappointed. What do you do? Well, some people get bitter. Some people begin to murmur and complain and some people just give up and quit. Some people blame God or if they don't blame God, they blame somebody else. I would have been a success. I would have had this. I would have been able to do that had it not been. And boy, they've got their list of reasons why somebody or something has robbed them of the opportunity. Well, I can guarantee you things are not always going to turn out like you plan. And if you don't learn to praise God anyhow, you know, we, we all say, well, just praise God anyhow. That's easy to say, but we better learn to do it. If we don't, we're going to fail. Paul could just keep on praising God and I like I'll keep on praising, singing, praising and singing as Brother Nolan talked about, you know. We better learn to do that, folks, because we're going to fail if we don't. But, but, but how can things be so bad and Paul just keep on praising God? Well, remember, this is the guy that said all things work together for good to those who love the Lord of the called according to his purpose. Remember, he knew that. Whenever you know that God's going to use whatever you're going through for some good, boy, it helps you to say, well, <laughs> praise the Lord anyhow. I don't understand it. Praise the Lord anyhow. It hurts. But praise the Lord anyhow. God's going to use it for some good. And not only is God going to use it for some good, perhaps related to Him personally, but, but God was going to use His experience to edify other people. And that's, notice, start in verse number four. He speaks about God comforting him in all of his tribulation. Notice that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. How are we going to do that? Well, he says, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the suffering, so shall ye also be also of the consolation. And he just keeps going on speaking about this, this thing that whatever it is that he's gone through, whatever these, whatever these painful experiences have been, Paul says, you know, I know God's going to use my experience to edify you in some way. So what happened to me, he says, is going to be helpful to you. Do you ever, you ever think about that? Whatever happens to you, God wants to use that to be of help to someone else. That's why I said earlier, you know, I spoke about the fact that sometimes our misery is the very thing that makes our ministry effective. 
Somebody says, boy, oh, my, my, my life, my ministry is just, is just over. I've just, I've gone through this horrible ordeal. I, you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm just through. No, no, you're not. If you maintain the right attitude about it, whatever horrible thing you went through, it, listen, it, it might have been a divorce, it might have been death, it might have been disease, it could have been 40, 11 different things, but something that knocked you off of your feet, it wasn't fair, it wasn't right, whatever it is, you mark it down, God is saying to you, I want to use that to help somebody else because you're not the only one that will ever go through it. And just like I've been there for you, Paul, I want you to be there for them and use that experience to help them. And he did it how? Cheerfully. The loss of joy is a, is a, is a warning. It's a signal that something, something is not right. Something has gone wrong. It's not only a, listen, it's not only a signal that something has gone wrong, but it's a signal that things are about to get worse. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And mark it down, there's something seriously wrong when we lose our joy. If the Bible commands us to rejoice in the Lord always, and we don't, then we've got a problem. Wouldn't you agree? The Bible tells you to do something, you don't do it. There, there's just hardly anything any more important than real, genuine Christian joy that is born out of a grateful heart for the grace of God. It's not something that, you know, is a fringe benefit of being a Christian. It is, the, it is a part of the heartbeat. It's a part of, the, of your spiritual system that keeps you going. And if you've lost that joy, I'm telling you right here at the beginning of the new year, you need to rediscover it. Now, there's something else, and it all ties into this, and that's found in verse 7, where we see that he speaks about his regard, his steadfast regard for other people. He says, and our hope of you is steadfast. That's clearly an expression of concern for, for other people. I hope of you, it's steadfast. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. By the way, we see exactly the same thing in all of his letters. And over and over again, he wanted others to experience what he had experienced. And over and over again, he expresses his concern for others. A steadfast regard for others, regardless of what we do in this new year. If we don't have a concern for other people and how our life affects them, we're going to be a failure. Yes, sir. Amen? Yeah. I mean, that's our responsibility. And there was this steadfast regard. You, you see, some of us are concerned about others only to the extent that everything is going our way. Only to the extent that they're willing to cooperate with our program and, you know, get on the same page of our agenda and meet our demands and um, we love them just fine. But boy, whenever, whenever things are not going our way, all of a sudden there's so many times that we lose our concern 
for people like that. Remember, these people have made horrible false accusations against Paul. And he hasn't given up on them. I don't know about you, but when you enter this new year, I'll bet every one of you can think of someone where there has been a breach of fellowship, there's been some hard feelings, there's been some bitterness or anger, not not on your part necessarily, but someone toward you. And I'm telling you, it's really easy to just mark them off the list and say, well, I tried. I apologize. I told them I love them, you know. And you just mark them all. I'm not going to try anymore. I'm not going to waste my time with them anymore. God help us to care more about people than, than to do that. Uh, that. There's nothing unconditional about that kind of so-called love. Real unconditional love says, look, whatever it is you do, regardless of how you treat me, regardless of what's going on, regardless of how miserably you fail, I'm going to love you anyway. I think that's the kind of attitude that Paul had toward these people. And that's what made him the person that he was. But then there's something else. And I think this is the maybe the keystone to the whole thing. This is the, uh, the cornerstone. Uh, this is the cap rock. I mean, this is, uh, this is the thing upon which everything else depends. And that is his submissive reliance upon the Lord. Look at verse number 8. He says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came, uh, came to us in Asia, that, you were, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that, notice, we despaired even of life, but we thought we were going to die. This is kind of like saying, man, we are scared to death. But, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver in whom we trust that He will yet deliver. You see, in all of this, it becomes apparent that Paul is being governed by faith instead of fear. And notice he says, he says there in verse 10 that he will yet deliver us. That's the kind of confidence that we need as we face this new year. We can ex- expect there to be problems, difficulties. And we can also expect the unexpected. You know, man, we've got it all planned out and uh, we've got our schedule out there. Everything's going to just turn out right. And then all of a sudden, everything goes wrong. Uh, Let me tell you, uh, I want to tell you what you can expect when the unexpected happens. Because it's crucial that we understand this, because whenever, you know, eight days ago, we crossed the threshold into a new year. In doing so, we walked into the unknown. Every step we take is in a place where we've never been before, right? This is a new year. We haven't been here before. 
based upon what we do know about life, based upon our experiences, based upon what we have seen, what the Bible teaches, we know there's going to be hills, there's going to be valleys, there's going to be blessings, there's going to be burdens, there's going to be pleasure, there's going to be pain. And we, listen, we don't know what crisis is waiting just around the next corner. And before this day is over, before the sun sets tonight, it might be that you will get a message that will rock your world and push you to the limit. And, and, and you're not going to have any idea what in the world am I going to do. I want you to leave here today prepared to deal with whatever crisis you might face. Not only tomorrow, but throughout this year. We don't know the future. But there are some things we know about the future. We know God's plans are perfect, right? He never makes a mistake. You say, oh yeah, but what happened to me? You know, it was so bad and so wrong. It, it couldn't be what God wanted. Well, listen, even if God didn't cause it, God allowed it. Can we agree on that? He either causes or allows everything in some way or another. And I know you don't understand it, and I don't either, and I can't explain it. But I know that God's plans are perfect. I know God's promises won't fail. You can expect that. Regardless of what unexpected thing happened, God's promises are not going to fail. His power has not diminished. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His people are not alone. It might just, you know, whenever you're going through that crisis, it might feel that you're all alone in the world. There's nobody there for you. I've got good news for you. There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And his peace is available. His presence is assured. His provision is what? Grace. When you look at, you turn over to chapter 12, this same letter, and Paul has just spoken about some thorn in the flesh, some great difficulty that he's faced. And three times he said, I prayed. But let me tell you something. If anybody could get through in prayer, it ought to be Paul. Don't you agree? How, how could a man be any more spiritual, any more dedicated, any more deserving than Paul? And he prays three times in the Lord and says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to remove it. You know, sometimes when God doesn't do what we expect him to do or what we ask him to do we start living as though god had made a mistake god had erred in his judgment that god had been unfair no listen if we don't deserve anything we shouldn't complain about anything and and none of us deserve anything oh we all want life to be better and easier and so forth but we don't deserve it to be that way so god says paul i'm not going to remove the thorn that thing that is troubling you that thing that is inflicting pain on you I, i'm not going to take it away you're going to have to live with it buddy but then he said but my grace will be sufficient and let me tell you that same grace that sustained paul is available to you and i today whatever you're going through whatever you have to face this year the grace of God is sufficient, but, but, 
You have to be sure of your relationship with God. That's where it starts. If you don't have a relationship with God, if Jesus isn't your Savior, then you don't have any hope. Wouldn't it be terrible for somebody to leave here today pretending that everything is well and then have tragedy to strike and all of a sudden to go out and to face that crisis totally unprepared because they do not have a relationship with God. He's the Father of mercy. He's the God of all comfort. He'll be there with you and for you and help you and bless you just as He did Paul. But you have to be sure of your relationship. And if you're not, would you come this morning and let us take the Word of God and we'll get it on our knees with you. We'll do whatever we've got to do. We want, you, we want you to enter into this new year being rock solid, knowing that, hey, it's going to be all right. Remember that little course, everything's all right in our Father's house? But that's, listen, that's the way we ought to feel about the... The, the difficulties of life. It, it's all going to be all right. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank you for this, uh, for this encouragement from the life of the Apostle Paul. And we, we look back upon the difficulties that he went through and uh, we look back on him with admiration, but we realize he's not really the one that deserves the credit. Lord, whenever we look at his victorious life, we, we, we don't applaud him so much as we praise you. We realize that it's only because of you that he was able to, to do what he did. It's only because of you that we'll be able to, to do what needs to be done when the crisis comes to our life. Lord, help each and every one here this morning to be sure of their relationship, to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that their sins have been forgiven, that heaven is their home. And Lord, if there's some Christian here today who, because for whatever reason, their disappointment with life, their difficulties they've encountered, and whatever it is, they've lost their joy, they've lost their strength, and Lord, today I just pray that they might uh, that they might awaken as to their great need of Your grace, and that You will revive their heart and help them to leave here more excited than they've ever been since the day they were first saved. For we ask it all in Jesus' dear name, Amen.